Well, well, well. Um, welcome to Black Men Speak. It's a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. So I am your host, Keith Dent, and it has um, it has been a minute since I have seen all of you uh, and talked to you, but uh, just due to some other logistical things that I've had to do, but actually tonight's uh, guest I'm glad that I'm doing the relaunch with them because um, this is a historical making uh, group that I'm going to be speaking with tonight. Um, as you as you may not know, if you're a fans of the show, uh, we in October interviewed these two gentlemen and maybe another one will join us. Uh, but Philip Henderson and Dom Mullins uh, were on the show in October uh, talking about, you know, when you and I'm going to back up, but when you do some of the, you know, um, based on my platform, the goal is really to find interesting people and stories that you may never get a chance to hear. And so as I was, you know, doing my research and checking out, um, you know, ordinary men doing extraordinary things, I came across this website or, you know, was notified of this website called Full Circle Everest. So I was like, well, let me check this out. Um, And I was like, wow, a group of people of color and primarily black people uh, climbing Mount Everest. And just just to hear that just is really extraordinary because one, you don't, most of us probably have never heard of black people climbing anything, you know, especially mountains and in the cold in the winter. Uh, And then a group of black people climbing collectively as a team. And, and so as I read further, I came across uh, man, Philip Henderson, who was, you know, he calls himself by a profession, an outdoor professional. So I uh, never even heard that before. Someone that actually is command, does things in the outdoors as a professional. So that could be, you know, from climbing, canoeing, just anything having to do with the outdoors. And uh, as I read about the story, I just couldn't wait to have him on the show. Uh, back in October, and then uh, Don Mullins joined us, who and he was in, in the military. Um, and that's kind of where he, you know, got cut his chops, you know, especially climbing because you know he had to probably do a lot. He was in Afghanistan, and then you know he was also an outdoorsman, and he couldn't wait, you know, to join this. So I was really excited just to have them on the show, and so we're going to just talk about their journey. So if you hadn't heard, I mean, I know they were featured on. Uh, you know, of course, national newscast, but on May 12th, they completed the journey. Seven members from the group, uh, which also includes eight Sherpa, completed this history-making climb. So we're going tonight, we're just going to debrief, we're going to talk about the show. Uh, Dom, you know, was all, and he's in the green room, just wanted to correct me, and it was Iraq. So just wanted to give that plug right quick, but I'm going to bring them up. Dom uh, and Philip, thank you uh, for being yeah. on. Again, seeing you again, you guys look like you are pretty much well rested now after that journey. I think you guys left in January, February, I think, if I recall. Well, actually, that was a, that was kind of what we call a shakedown trip. That was a, a pre-trip in January. So we did. Oh, OK. Uh, most of us as a team, I think we were only minus one uh, at the time. Um, we went to, to Nepal in, in January and we hiked oh, about halfway to base camp, but really just to you know kind of get everybody familiar with with the with the community and you know the food you know 
logistics, all that kind of stuff. So then we came back and the climb actually started. Uh, we went back again, you know, I think I flew out 2nd of April. Yeah. Okay. At Mandu, the 4th of April. Yeah. So before we really get into it, but I just wanted to ask the question, is the climate drastically different from January until, you know, April when you guys started your climb or is it pretty much the same? Oh, it's, it's vastly different. So in January, uh, you had more winter weather and more snowfall. And then by the time the expedition started in April, you had more spring weather. So a lot of the snow was melting, the rivers were swelling, and you could see more vegetation, especially on the lower in the lower areas in the uh, Kumbu. So, um, but at that time, the wind dies down enough at the higher elevations of Everest so that you can actually have a summit window. Oh, okay. So there's actually a, so there's actually a summit window and what, what is that window? I mean, and I guess that's the time when you can actually reach the summit versus where it's just too dangerous. So what is that window for people that have never heard of that? So in those winter months, you'll see on Everest, the winds are really high. Like if you had the opportunity to just look at the summit of Everest during the winter months, you could see the wind blowing off the summit. And at times like that, you can't summit or it would be very difficult to summit. You know, there are people who, you know, attempt winter summits of mountains. But in the spring, you actually have uh, opportunity where the wind dies down enough that you can actually exploit that that window of opportunity and try to summit the mountain during that time. And it's a moving window. Um, oh, I, I see. Yeah, I believe, Philip, it, it's usually like around around actually the day that we summit, right? May 12th or May 15th or something? Well, you know, that's, that's kind of part of what's happening is those, this changing, you know, and, and it, it does change. It is a moving window every year. It's never, it's never exactly the same, but um, you know, really it's, Everest is so high. It's really the jet stream. It's like, it, it really is that high of wind. And like Dom says in the winter, you get up to, you know, 150, 170, almost 200 mile an hour winds up, you know. Up, oh, up, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. As the spring and you fall and you start going into summer before the monsoons and things calm down, you know, there's a window there of, and it, it can come and go as things kind of move around. And it's usually about between the 12th and the 20th, you know, 24th of, of May, somewhere in there, you know. And so it's really hard, and, and I know we'll come back to this, but it's really hard to really determine exactly where that is. So you're communicating a lot with either with someone outside, you know, who's, who's a meteorologist who's looking at these things every day and, and feeding you, you know, the forecast for like the next four or five days or so. Oh, okay. Okay, great. So, yeah. So let's go back to the beginning. So for those who don't know, what is Full Circle Everest and what's the significance uh, of the name? Yeah, well, you know, um, Full Circle Everest was, you know, is a team of 11 people. Um, you know, we got together and we didn't just like get together. You know, we've all been climbing for many of years. It just happens that through our, our paths of climbing, we happened to come together well, three three years ago, 2018, 19. And we started really, you know, uh, meeting each other and talking about the project. And the full circle name came from, I've, I've actually uh, came up with that name years ago. And it really is about, you know, kind of completing this, this uh, a cycle and keeping the cycle going at the same time of, 
you know, when we were coming up, we really don't have mentors. You know, I, I I'm kind of a mentor, to, you know, to Dom and, and and these guys, and and saying, you know, I've been in in the outdoor industry for you know, you know, two plus, you know, almost three decades, actually three decades this summer, and um, and I'm always willing to give back, and I always have been giving back to other people who are interested in getting outside at, at any level, you know, and so at this level, it just so happens that you know I had been on on Everest in 2012 as a part of another expedition and so while i had the opportunity to be you know to to be the leader uh, another group of people who you know who are all black as well you know men and women both and so um it was really kind of full circle for me as well because when i came in the industry 30 years ago there were very very few of us for sure okay so yes and so i i read that um that there was you had, you know, I don't, I think you said a team of 11, but when the climb actually started, you had seven, you had seven climbers that actually completed the summer summit with eight Sherpa guides. So um, my, my question was, Philip, which I, you know, of course, when I wanted to interview you again, I was surprised that you weren't included in that. So was that already planned? And if so, why was that the plan? No, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't the plan. Um, you know, the plan was for me to, to to climb high on the mountain with the rest of the team. Um, but just really, you know, as as things went along, you know, through kind of looking back, and one thing is a, a lot of energy put out just to make the expedition happen in itself um, over the last you know year, you know, almost two years. You know, arriving in in in, we had a, another. We had some other logistics happening as well, some other aspects of just climbing Everest, such as, you know, we had a, a press uh, conference with some folks at the U.S. Embassy, and we spent a day with the Nepal Youth Leadership Council um, while we were in Kathmandu, and so I was I was part of both of those. Then we had another group of folks, you know, hiking in with. So it wasn't just us eleven folks hiking into base camp. I think we were a group of twenty, mm-hmm. plus our Sherpas and some other folks and. Uh, and so as time went on and as we, you know, we got to the mountain, it just, there were a lot of other logistics and things that really need to be paid attention to. And I was leader of the expedition. And so I felt like, you know, leading from that standpoint, and I think people get it wrong as well. It's like, it's not like there's, you know, Philip Henderson who's hiking in front of, and here's this group of, you know, people, right. people hiking behind them to go to the summit. It doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? And so, uh, but yeah, it was a decision of mine to just, you know, really focus on all those logistical things because your you, you, your mental game has to be tight when it comes to, you know, getting your own uh, self prepared for climbing every day. And if you're not, you know, just focused on that, um, things can, you know, both of those things can go wrong. So, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and then there, I guess there were some others that did not complete the climb um, or I don't know if they attempted the climb. And I know you mentioned in our, the previous episode that you had to, you know, uh, illness could creep up on you at any time. What went into the decision where the others did not uh, make the climb? Was it physical or mental, or was it just um, a last-minute determination? No, no, it was, it was, um, it was. You know, logistics and 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 like I say, you know, it's people get. It's not when you get sick. If you get sick, it's when. And I think everybody was feeling it at some point. And mm-hmm. I think Fred just happened to, you know, be high on the mountain, and so he couldn't continue. And um, and Abby just some other, you know, challenges and so on wasn't able to continue. But 
you know, everyone who, you know, actually besides myself who decided to, you know, play another role from a standpoint of logistics and so on. Every, you know, the other nine, nine team members all went to camp three or above. So it was, uh, I'd call that pretty successful, you know, in that sense, even for Abby, who, you know, went to camp three, Fred went to camp three um, and everyone else summoned it. So. Okay, great. And yeah. also who's just joining us, uh, Thomas Moore, uh, another one of the climbers. Hey, Thomas, how you doing? You're doing well. How What's are you time? guys? Good, man. Good, man. Glad you joined us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, great. So, yeah, so before we get into everyone's individual, I wonder, and everybody, anybody can chime in, but so what was the overall uh, reception that you received from the climbing community? I guess just seeing, you know, the climbing community just seeing you walking in or preparing for this moment. What was what did you um, receive from that? You know, Thomas, I guess that you you came in, you just came in. I'd love to hear uh, you talk about that. I think we were received pretty well. There was a lot of um, people knew about what we were doing. They had heard about it. Um, a lot of questions. Like you know, like different... what? Like what? For instance. I remember uh, on a on a hike with Phil, there was one woman who had heard and she wanted to know how it started. And obviously, Phil was able to bring her through the story, the full circle story. But I mean, it's just like they had read an article, they had heard about it, and then boom, we were there. And so for me, I experienced uh, a lot of pictures, a lot of questions, uh, and for the most part, positive attitude. I mean, we met a guide. I can't remember the company that he worked for, but he lives in Washington. Um, and the first town that we got to, he saw us passing and just immediate was like, are you full circle? I donated to that. And then he was, he was just happy, like pumped for us. So, right. Yeah. That was, that was my experience. Don, what, what about you? Yeah. I mean, everybody's spirits were really high. I thought we had really great reception in, um, into the community there. People were really excited. Uh, I also had a experience on a number of occasions like Thomas, where, you know, a person that I didn't know, you know, just looked at me and suspected that I was part of the expedition and was like, hey, full circle. You know, I even had two people walk up to me and say Philip Henderson. And I was like, no, but I know. <laughs> so, so a lot of people knew about it. A lot of people were excited about it. We even had a number of visitors come into base camp to check us out. So I know like... Uh, you know, we had the first Native Kenyan, Black Kenyan Summit as well. KG, he was part of our team. And I believe we had something like, I don't know, maybe like 10 Kenyans come in. We uh, <laughs> meet KG. Yeah. And like, oh, wow. Yeah. We had students from like uh, an American university come. We had a number of, of different people who came just because they heard about the expedition. They were wanted to support us. They wanted to meet us. They donated to the campaign. So we had a lot of a lot of great support. Great, great. So because I guess you, so what you're saying, you you, uh, the team stayed at base camp for a while until you actually um, took the climb to the summit. Is that correct? Well, it's not like you stay at base camp. You're actually you're climbing, you know, for a couple of days, and then you're back in base camp for a couple of days. And so, oh, I see. Yeah, and so you know you're coming up, and it's all about you know looking at that summit, trying to figure out where that summit window and preparing yourself to have climbed high up on the mountain and then coming back and being rested so that when that window comes, that you're ready, you're acclimated to those higher elevations. And so 
Like oh, I see. Yeah. So, so it's almost like prac, almost like a practice kind of thing. Almost, but it's it's more than just practice. It's your it really your your body is going through physiological changes, you know, and allowing you to be more to take in more oxygen and actually be active at those elevations, and uh, and so it's not just you know the training is like most of that stuff is like is like you know ABC for for most of us. It's like it's going through the motions because you've climbed a lot, but you're just getting used to the altitude and and helping your body get used to that. To be in uh, that physical activity, you know. Oh, okay, interesting. And I, so I would love to hear, especially someone that's not a climber like myself. <laughs> I think, you know, um, I'm more of a cyclist. But what are what would be one of the physiological changes that your body would go through that you have to kind of get acclimated, you know, over time before you really take a climb like that? Yeah, so one of I guess one of the most important changes is that your um, red blood cells are becoming more adept at carrying oxygen, and so and increasing is and increasing as well. Yeah, you're building yeah. more red blood cells. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with that efficiency, you know, of your red blood cells carrying ox oxygen, being able to carry oxygen and producing more red blood cells that could carry more oxygen. It's helping you, I mean, literally operate your body better at those elevations. So you feel better after each time you expose yourself to the stressor and then you go back down and you rest. Basically, what is happening is your body is reacting to it by producing more red blood cells to carry more oxygen. And then that's why when you go back, you feel better. You feel stronger uh, mm -hmm. when you're there. Oh, interesting. Well, thank you for that. That's that was good. Uh, good information. So what would you say during the journey uh, was the, what was the biggest surprise during the, the whole expedition? For me, it was <laughs> uh, getting from camp one to camp two was unbelievably hot. I was not ready for how hot, like very hot. I'm, I'm in Georgia. I'm from Georgia. I know he, it was like really, really hot. I was not expecting that. When you say and when you say hot, you're talking about temperature, correct? Yes, like the sun, the heat, the whole nine, and it it dehydrates you quicker because um, you're also at a higher altitude, so you're losing ox or you're losing uh, water on every breath, and so it's just very intense. Uh, wow. Camp one to camp okay. two. And so, from a from I guess a, a mile standpoint, what's what's the mileage difference from one to the other? Dom, you may have to answer that one. I have no clue. I was so out of it well, you know i actually don't remember miles but you have at least about like two thousand to three thousand feet between each of the camps so yeah, yeah I, I i but i don't recall how many miles it is and i mean one of the interesting things about going what, what thomas is talking about uh from camp one to camp two is that <laughs> From camp one, you you can see camp two. So you're like, oh, it's right there. You know, you feel like you'll be there in like 15, 30 minutes. But like three hours later, you're still walking towards it, you know. So and you don't have any sort of ability to assess the, uh, discern the difference, the, the distance between the two camps, you know. Mm. So yeah. it's, it's massive. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's incredible. And, and, you know, having been there in 2012, I experienced that. And so I, you know, and, and we talked about it during, during, 
you know, team meetings earlier about, you know, just being hot in, in the coom. But the thing is, is that you, you, you can't understand it until you experience how hot it is between, you know, camp one and two. There's just no way. Uh, Keith, I'll say that one of the things that surprised me the most on the expedition is after summit day. So we summited on May 12th uh, when we were coming back across those lower camps from uh, camp two across the Western Coom, back uh, from camp one across the ice fall. It was really surprising to me how much everything had changed and how much was melting at that time. It was almost like, you know, every like reality itself up there was just melting. Everything was falling apart. Right. Or or I, well, I look at it differently. Or the sun was just shining down as such with the historicalness of the expedition. And so <laughs> you can think of it like that, too. Um, or, 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 you know, or the, the time just went by, took so much time that you're like, wow, it took, you know, the change could happen in but i'm sure yeah. from a deeper perspective it's probably a climate change issue uh, well which... i would i would um i would back you know what dom said is this bigger the the biggest thing for me as well and you know i had a a, a different perspective because i was there 10 years ago and so uh i did hike into i went into the ice fall a couple times um and you know just hiked around in, in base camp and so on. And it's a very noticeable difference in 10 years of the amount of, of, mm. of, of, of ice that has melted in, in the Kumbu ice, in the lower Kumbu ice fall for sure. Um, it's a noticeable difference wow. and, and the timing and, you know, of when things are melting, they're melting out a lot earlier in, in the season. Um, you know, the rivers that, that you have to cross, you know, to get, High on the mountain are 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 swollen. You know, They're, you got you got to get creative about crossing them. And I was just about to say that to, to back them. You uh, the, for on one rotation, I remember getting back to base camp, but the route had changed. Like the trail that you take into the ice fall had changed coming back because of what Bill's talking about the the river and the the heat had had melted out the trail. So to make it safe, they had to change it. And that's a great that's a great segue because uh, who would actually make that determination? Is there a, I guess for lack of a better word, a pack leader that actually says, "Well, we can't go this way. We're going to have to go this way." Or do, do is it done by radio where some of the some uh, guides are kind of go in advance to kind of map yeah, the way? Yeah. I've seen I've seen certain things where they kind of map it out ahead of time, but I'd love to hear how that works. There's a there's a group. Uh, there's a group of folks. Um, if I, I run into the other room, I happen to have a get a hat from them this year. But um, they're called the Ice Doctors, and they set the route from base camp through up to camp two, basically. And they they're in the ice fall first every day, and they're going in and checking things out because again, the, it's a glacier, so it's moving, and so things mm. do change. And the route that was there yesterday may not be there tomorrow. And so they're there early in the morning, two, three o'clock in the morning or, or midnight, 10 o'clock at night this year, because it was so warm that everyone was hiking and leaving camp at, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning. So that means the ice doctors had to be in the ice fall at, you know, at, at midnight or 11, you know, so they're the ones who really noticed those changes and, and fixed the route 
so that uh, so it doesn't change drastically in that sense. But you know, a ladder might fall, or like Dom was, uh, like um, Thomas was saying, the the route to get across the river may change, and you know, or anybody can do that, but they're the ones who's getting up first in the morning and 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 are responsible for that. And they, man, those guys are good. They stay on the on their job and 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 make it happen. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Oh, okay. Um... Good to know, because I would think you would definitely, if you definitely need a guide to kind of, someone that goes ahead and kind of maps out the route for you, because I mean, you don't want to get stuck for one or go, uh, it's already dangerous enough. And so the yeah. fact that there is someone that goes ahead is great. But you might go through, I mean, I, you know, Thomas, uh, Dom, did either one of you come through any part of the icefall by yourself, you know, without without someone at any point in time, you know? Uh, each time I did it, well, the last time I did it, uh, it was just me and Fertimba, my uh, uh, Sherpa climbing partner. So we were the only ones there. And at that time, actually, you reminded me of this, Phil, when you were talking about uh, the ice changing and ladders falling. Uh, ladder had fallen into a really large crevasse, and we had to run and jump over it. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty wild. Mm. Okay. Wow. That that leads to my kind of next question. I think when, I guess it's different when you're maybe climbing and you're with maybe one other person or a few other people, um, you kind of work together. But with a group this large, uh, I'm sure there was some surprise that we as Black people working together to achieve this goal. So what what does it say or where we can get um, a group of people from all different backgrounds uh, to work together and achieve a goal to, with something this dangerous. Does it, does it say anything to the, to the just community as a whole? Uh, we're going through a lot of kind of treacherous times in our country right now. You know, climate change, COVID, the, uh, the inflation that's really affecting our communities. Does it, does something like this kind of uh, add a little extra um, significance to our communities as a whole? I mean, I'd say so, you know. Um, I, it, you know, a lot of, so much of it is awareness and just people being aware that, you know, African-Americans, the Black people around, you know, our, our country around the world are doing these things or that are getting out and, and, and having to manage risk you know, or make decisions and work as a team, those kind of things. And so we had, we saw a lot of that, like Dom was saying, and Thomas was saying, coming in, there was a lot of folks who were, uh, you know, saying, oh, this is full circle. Well, that was happening even on, on social media prior to going uh, uh, to Everest and, and throughout and since as well. And so knowing that as a group, you know, us getting together and accomplishing this as a team. And, and I, most folks can tell you when I, I do say team and it, when I, if I say it wasn't hard for me to go, you know what, I'm going to go climb this mountain, you know, and, and yeah, it's still part of the team, but I'm going to summit and all those other things I'm going to put to the side, you know, it's like, that's hard to make that decision, but that's what the, that was about teamwork. It was what the team needed, and that was just a part of our success. It wasn't the success. Everybody still had to put one foot in front of the other, and there's so many other things to manage as well, you know. So I think even a lot of without talking 
about a lot of things. We still knew what folks had to do, you know, to prepare like, oh, we're leaving tomorrow at one o'clock for this next rotation. And they know it's going to be hot between camp, you know, the camp one and two. They're looking out for each other up high and then we're communicating via radio and so on and that to do that on the on the basically the, the the center stage of mountaineering as a group of black people that makes people aware what people can do period you know regardless of what color they are then you have to make them aware of the significance of it and how many people had climbed everest you know up to this 2022 in its history. Yeah, I think that the community that we showed uh, amongst the team members, and uh, this is the um, American and Kenyan full circle members, and also the Nepalese and Sherpa team members, like we were all just one, you know, big co cohesive group looking out for each other on the mountain. I think that you know, there is a lot of value in us, um, you know, working together and building a successful expedition together. So the teamwork aspect of it was really essential. It was really great to have a community up there and not just be, you know, a singular climber, let's say, you know, paying a guiding service to, to help you summit the mountain. But, you know, it was enjoyable, you know, just hanging out with the team members um, at times and at times when like it showed that the community aspect was most important were like some of the most difficult times of the expedition, you know, when we were losing members, when we were, you know, tired after a push from one camp to another, we were exhausted when we were, you know, all sort of commiserating about, you know, our health and, you know, how the elevation was wearing on us at the moment. It was times like that, that, you know, companionship of um, the team members was really essential, was really important. So I think that there is a great um, uh, lesson in that or even symbol in that of, you know, people of color, you know, being there at their, you know, athletic and professional best on the mountain and working together to achieve a common goal. I think that that's, you know, I think that that in itself is exceptional. I'll I'll add with um I think and Phil has been working like 25 years longer than I've been climbing. He's been working on this, but I think it our group coming together, having success on the mountain, um, helps to remove negative stereotypes that some we just tell ourselves as a community. Um, I think all of us coming together and that that will. Uh, make its way out into the community, you know, with the film and stuff like that. But we did well. We had, I mean, Dom is a part of, uh, Dom is fast, Manoa is fast. Like the crew that, that that went up, we did well going to the summit. And it wasn't a mess. No one died. We all were super safe, super caring, and super healthy going up. And I think that that in the long term for our community will will help to dispel some of the false narratives and, and stereotypes. And I also think that um, it will also help with maybe getting people to ask why, like, why were we, why did we climb? Why has Phil been going to Nepal for, you know, 12, 13 years? Uh, 
like why and then you'll start to get answers so in the long term i think there's a bigger impact for sure but yeah we we did it we worked together we made it we did there was no like arguments which on i've been on a few expeditions that stuff happens like not everybody agrees and teams can break up that way but it was super positive super super helpful and i think that yeah in the in the long term it will help to change people's minds people's narratives about the outdoors about mountaineering well i mean and that's a great segue to this because since you're the newbie uh, i didn't get to ask you uh, why did you what got you into climbing and why did you why did you actually uh, make the climb i've been pursuing the seven summits uh a mutual friend to phil his name's james uh mills um basically knew that i was pursuing it and talked to phil and after seeing, you know, or talking with Phil, great conversation, I figured or thought he's a great leader. I'd like to be a part of this team. I also wanted to meet other climbers. I didn't, I didn't know any climbers of color in the community. And so, yeah, it was an opportunity to get in with a good group, get in on a, a cool, you know, mission and learn. Uh, that was that was it. I get, to, I get to learn from Dom, from Manoa, you know, the team, Fred, obviously Phil the whole crew so and you know and what i love about that answer and i, I didn't get to mention this last time because i think dom also mentioned this because he's from the he's from the east coast and and the fact that when he used to do climbs in new england and such he was the only black climber but he climbed anyway because he was passionate about that and a lot of times in our community when we we may have a let's say an unusual passion or a gift we won't pursue those gifts because we don't have other people of color around us that do those things. So we'll put it to the side uh, until we eventually find someone. But what I loved about your stories is that you, you still pursued those gifts um, because you loved it. And the fact that you didn't let the fact there were no people of color stand in your way of pursuing that. So I really applaud that um, because I think, you know, I've know I've seen in the past where, especially young people, they won't, do they may not partake on a certain thing because uh, their friends aren't doing it, or they don't have um, someone that they can look to for support. But if this in itself, sh- hopefully, will show people that look, you know, a gift that you have inside that may be unusual, you pursue that because there will be someone, someone out there that may look that will look like you that in that enjoys it. So, yeah, um, I, I, I think. Yeah. I think the initial first people to do something in a category, whether it's mountaineering or adventure of any sort, you have to have a pioneering spirit. And normally the pioneering spirit is coupled with a good mentor. And so being able to have those come together, you, that's how people like us get into this. And then the next generation and the next generation, it, it'll change a little bit, but you got to have a, you know, a, an inquisitive mind and, and question and wonder if this can happen and then go after it. And then normally you're able to meet like a mentor to, uh, to see it through. I was going to say, if you think, I mean, as I go through each of us, you think about it. There's not, I don't think one team member had they not made that step of, you know, it doesn't matter to me if I'm the only person I'm still going to pursue this because I'm passionate about it. Each of us, each team member, if one of us, we wouldn't have this team. It, it wouldn't. We we wouldn't have been here. So 
that just goes to show you the steps that one must be be willing to take you know and at some point we in our lives we were all willing to take that and so now we become you know that that other folks look to that mentor you know that role model we become that just by taking that step you know that that other and and i i'm i agree I've always said there are people out there who think they're like, I want to do this, but because they don't see people like them doing it, you know, but now we're, we're creating more of a community of people who are doing this. And so this next generation has something to look, has something to look to, you know, um, you have, you know, you, there's a, a great a climbing program in Memphis, Tennessee, Memphis rocks. There's a climbing gym right in the hood. And so these kids have a place to go and young kids can be mentored by the older kids who can, you know, and, and right there in the city. And so they can do that. We can't do that, you know. So hopefully, you know, through social media, through this expedition and, and you know, the, the, you know, the platform that we have with that, that we can reach those people. And we have as a result of the expedition that we saw even hiking in people from Kenya coming into our camp, people from, you know, Germany saying, oh, I followed you on Instagram, you know folks from South America, from, you know, the community of Nepal. And so I really looked at it as we didn't plan it, but it was something so positive coming out of, you know, where we have been in, in you know, globally in, in the last two years, that it just resonates with a, a lot of people for a lot of reasons, you know, and, uh, and it was super positive. And then we, we were successful, you know, like Thomas was saying, we, we weren't a junk show. We ran a good expedition, and that was a part of all of our teamwork from the time that we, you know, probably met in Ure in 2019 to say, yeah, hey, let's do this until the time that we got back to the U.S., you know, or back to Kathmandu. That we, we were all professional, you know. Um, we put in the work to make it happen, and, and then luck comes into play, you know. But that's a lot of work and a lot of things all of us had to do for a lot of years to make that happen, you know. Right, right. So, to put all that in and then have it be historical in that sense. We didn't start off, you know, I didn't start off 30 years ago saying, hey, I want to make history. I don't think any of us did that, you know. So that even, so you add you add Everest and ice and, and history, on that's more than icing on a cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be part that's... of it, you know. So, um, so that's, you know, to me, that's the ultimate in, in, in teamwork with, in, for me, in, 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 in three decades, but also in, in mountaineering on that scale uh, to be successful and, and to do the other things that we did, you know, to inspire folks. And we had, like, I think Dom mentioned, we had some folks from Central Wyoming College, from the Native American community, from the Shoshone and Arapaho nations come in and hike in. So providing opportunities for, you know, young 20-year-old, you know, college students from, you know, Native American to hike to base camp to Everest Base Camp just inspires even a, a, a greater uh, community as well. So there's a lot of things that came out of it that, I, I, I mean, I'm I'm super proud to just be a part of it. Right. Of, to be, you know, um, the, the leader of the expedition is, is that I'm, I'm just a part of it. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And so kind of to go back to the leadership thing, because you, I know in a previous podcast, you met, you, it was mentioned that you have more of a backseat leadership style. And so that meant that meant, and though also since you didn't uh, make the climb, there was others or some people that had to step up and be leaders. So not to put you on the spot, but 
who were those individuals on the expedition? You know, because clearly this, you didn't mention that ahead of time that you weren't going. So clearly someone had to say, well, I'm going to take the mantle and, and, and kind of make sure the group not only makes the climb, but also stays cohesive. So who, who were the individuals that did that? Well, up, up high in the mountain. Yes, as as they took the climb and they knew yeah. you weren't going. Yeah. yeah, so I would I would have to defer to, to Thomas and and uh, and Dom for that because they're the ones who were there, you know, in in camp and, and experiencing that. So. I mean, I I think that Eddie Taylor played a really active leadership role, um, and um, and also uh, KG as well, but you know there is a also another team member who is basically who is in a very Im- important and essential position in terms of planning the logistics and the movement uh, up the mountain and that's the Sirdar and so this is a person who organizes all of the Nepalese and Sherpa team members and uh, our Sirdar was a Panudu and he was a very important link in the chain, uh, if you will. So, you know, between the leadership roles played by those three individuals, certainly uh, Eddie Taylor, KG, and P- Panudu, uh, as we were moving higher up on the mountain, that helped us sort of stay together. It helped us uh, relay messages, you know, keep good communication between the group and good communication back with base camp uh, with, with Philip. And that's that's good to hear. And I'm sure Phil, that, that made you proud. The fact that, uh, you know, because there can be, I mean, all of the planning that went into this and then have knowing that you were taking a step back and, and then there's no, and I don't think this is you personally, but you also lose the control of everything. Uh, yeah. So all of that planning had gone into it. And then it's like, okay, I have to uh, relinquish control and trust that all the work that I put in is going to pay off. The thing about it is, is that that's kind of happening all along anyway. So all throughout the planning phase, I mean, I can go back to Dom and I sitting and starting to build our pitch deck in, ter- in terms of trying to, you know, our, our fundraising campaign way back then. So when I even talking about a, a, a backseat leadership style and so on, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm here, you know, and I'm sending, sending the, the, invites for zoom calls every week and making sure these things are going together and and talking to folks in nepal and other things but other folks are also doing things and so it's not like i'm doing everything and then all of a sudden okay i'm not going so someone else take the reins it's like other folks are always you know i'm always delegating other things i know kg was doing first aid kits already and so uh he had also did some team building stuff way back in january when we Mm. were in nepal and so being able to delegate those things and kind of taking a step back and 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 observing, you know, how the team is doing and kind of what is needed is what I'm talking about in terms of having a backseat leadership style. But I can also step up at you know any point, which sometimes you have to do that and just make a call and say, hey, this is what we're doing, and here's the reasons why, you know. But um, but all along the way, people are doing other things, even if it's a small thing like you know. Hey, uh, what are we having for dinner tonight? It's like, Dom, can you take care of that? And Dom steps up and says, hey, y'all, let's get together and figure out what we're going to do for dinner this evening, you know, because um, that's a lot. That is a hard, realistically, that is a hard job hiking into base camp to to get dinner prepared for you know, oh, wow. 20, okay. 25 people in a in a tea house that has another 35 people, you know, sleeping there at the same time. So, Oh, okay. 
All yeah. right. There's a lot, lot of little things that go into an Everest expedition that people don't even know. Um, that you know, are, and that's just getting to base camp. So yeah. Right. Well, that's why we're here today, just for for folks to know what's going on. So when I watch, I just watched over the the last show before. I came in. I, I had a thought, and I, I don't know if there's a reason, but I know Conrad Anchor was really instrumental in a lot of the linkages of folks. Um, I was wondering if did he actually even approach to want to go on a climb like this? You know, because this is a historical climb. Did he actually ask you, Phil? You know, would you mind or you know? And I'm not sure how it works. Would you mind if I also climbed just to be yeah. a part of that? Or and if not. You know, does that is that how it works, or is it you know once you form your team, that's kind of yeah. that's it? No, no, um, no. Conrad, man, he, he you're right. He has he has played a, a huge mentor role in, in in a lot of us with a lot of us in terms of our climbing careers. And um, for this for for this expedition itself, Conrad has always been. He's like, man, this is your expedition. You guys got this. I'm in the backseat. I'm here as you know to to just help. And advise if you need. I'm here if you need me, but it's y'all's. It's your expedition. Mm. You guys go for it, and I'm here. And he was that way from day one. Always supportive. You know, he's. I can't say enough about how supportive Conrad has been, and and the part that he plays in in numerous of our aspects of our climbing careers, plus the expedition itself, as as well as other, you know, areas in 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 my life as well. So. Great, great. Um, and so just a couple more questions. Um, the other thing was that I know part of the the goal or what you hoped to come out of this was that the demystifying of outdoor sports, uh, the outdoor sports landscape for people of color. So, and you said it was, you know, it's it's kind of been a slow, and you, I think you use a cruise ship for for some time. But with the with the completion of the mission, have you found that, this demystification has gone faster than you thought it would, or is it still kind of at that slow pace? No, you know, I, I, man, I, I think we just hit the gas a little bit, you know, that's all. It, it, it is, it, we're, we're, we're in a, a clog in the wheel, you know. Um, there are so many things that are making this boat, you know, this cruise ship head in that other direction. It is turned for damn sure, you know what I'm saying? It's turned in the other direction now. It just it it's it's on its way, and you know there's so many other programs you know that 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 are helping with that, and we're a part of that. It just Everest is a, it's a, it's an icon, you know, uh, in itself. Just Everest, just an Everest expedition, uh, a black expedition, uh, you know, an all black expedition on Everest, and with the outcome that we have, you know, that does carry some weight and move it a little bit more and probably a little bit faster than than we have maybe we even thought um but mm -hmm. it's not like okay now it's full steam ahead and, and right, things right. change you're like no that's that that's gonna that's still gonna take some time and effort on on both sides you know what i mean and and like what does that change mean too and are we talking just mountaineering or are we talking you know high high altitude mountaineering or are we talking in the outdoors in general you know there's so many ways that we can do that but I, damn sure i know I'm, I'm telling you that we a lot of people have changed their 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 mentality and and uh, their their narrative about who belongs, who's doing it, who can do it, who should do it, and who will be doing it in the future. Okay, so I'd love to hear from you. So, 
now that the climb is historically over, so what's next? And as far as your your next, you know, mountain to climb, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, me specifically? Yeah, no, all, yeah, all three of you. All three, yeah, yeah. I'd like to keep pursuing the seven summits. I'm two away from completing it, but I want to get back to Nepal uh, and, and climb there. It's that's a beautiful and magical place. Um, I, I want to keep climbing. I would like to keep introducing others to the outdoors, hopefully with the team. Uh, it's a fun team to be a part of. Those are the big things for me, climbing and and uh, introducing others. Dom? Yeah, I would also like a, a, a chance at the, the Seven Summits and also more 18, eight, eight, excuse me, 8,000 meter mountains. There's some other objectives in Nepal that I would love to get an opportunity to to, to climb. And, uh, you know, because of the deep relationships that we built with, you know, the Nepalese and Sherpa team members of Full Circle, um, I would also love the opportunity to get back out there and climb with some of those folks as well as uh, some of the American um, and, and Kenyan uh, team members. So. I think that we have a lot to look forward to between the group. There's still a lot of mountains to climb, obviously. And um, we're hoping that, you know, more of the team members that were involved this time want to be involved in the future. So, Phil? Yeah. Man, um, shoot. Yeah, the next the next mountain to climb. You know, for one, the one thing is, you know, I want to keep supporting these, you know, the team members in, in their pursuit of climbing as well. Um, and other folks in in their pursuit of just getting outdoors and and so on and so, um, even before you know previous to the expedition, I had looked at starting a, a, a nonprofit, and so my that's where my energy is getting put. That's what's next for me. The next mountain is the nonprofit Full Circle Expeditions, Incorporated, and really you know uh, being a, a big player in 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 providing you know avenues and and opportunities for more you know black people and people of color to get outside that's really what what full circle uh expedition is about and so full circle everest expeditions was really the the you know is that the tip of the iceberg in a sense for you know the expedition uh for the nonprofit itself in that um you know people are aware that they can get outside and do things and that the outdoors is for them and so my <clears throat> my uh you know, not it hasn't really been a dream, but I've I've thought about it for a lot of years, in in saying you know to provide you know an opportunity for for people of color to be comfortable in the outdoors and learning in the outdoors, and so that's really what Full Circle Expedition is 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 about is providing that platform for people to be comfortable. Yeah. Two more things because we're getting ready to wrap up. But what if you could only use one word to describe the whole experience? What word would that would that be? Hmm. That's how I am. I'm speechless, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, honored for me. It's 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 honored. You know, it's an honor, and so I'm. That that's the one word is is an honor. It's great. Yeah, I would say it's um, maybe celebration. That's what it. That's what it felt like on the mountain. You know, we were. You know. We were doing, handling the business and doing what we had to do, but we were also having fun. You know, we were celebrating it. Um, 
definitely use the word exhilarating. It was exciting, kept me, and I don't show much emotion ever, but uh, it was exciting all the way up, even because I had some trouble getting down. It was still just seeing that and you know, being able to use the landscape to help me uh, get through a, a tough spot. Like it was just fun, exciting, and yeah, just amazing. Well, that's that's fantastic. So, uh, Phil and Dom, you, you don't necessarily have to answer this last question because you answered it last time. But, Thomas, since you are the newbie, um, I always like to end the show um, because we I, I do love talking about our what you've accomplished and are just because it's it is extraordinary just to hear different things. But I also like to always just check in with the brothers and how they're feeling. Cause that's sometimes we don't uh, talk about that enough. Um, and I know we're, there's been an uptick as far as mental health and everything, but I always like to check in with my guests because it's really about who you are as men. So the last question is right now as a black man, how, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling uh, basically I'm, I'm giving you a real answer here. I, I was, Immediately after the climb, I was pushed to use everything that I had gained mentally um, from that climb. Like, I've always seen myself as a tough individual and um, able to push through, um, you know, tough circumstances. Uh, but I, I had to dig deep to get through the last, it hasn't even been two months, which is wild, because it feels like it's been six, honestly. Uh, so, yeah, for me, I'm thankful that I was able to get up that mountain summit and then uh, immediately have something to draw from because, uh, yeah, it, being able to just sit back and, and say, I literally can push through anything like I can, but telling myself that is another, that's a whole nother mm. step. And so, yeah, that's, that is a real answer. Uh, I have had to dig deep and I'm thankful that my bank or cash is, is full. Um, I have a thought for that for you in a minute, but I didn't want to give Don or Phil the space if they had anything additional to add uh, different from their last time they were on the show. Yeah, Phil, you can go first. And I don't remember I, I don't remember what I said the last time. That was eight months ago. I had a lot to <laughs> between now and then. But uh, he, uh, proud, man. Okay. That's how I'm feeling is proud, yeah. You know, and not just for myself, but for the team and for our people, period. Yeah, I, I think for me, maybe the the feeling is hopeful. You know, and um, that's um, you know, hopeful that just more people are inspired by the journey that we took into the mountains and the way that we performed it. It's hopeful that that community of you know people getting into the outdoors uh, are encouraged you know encouraged by uh, seeing people of color do it encouraged to feel like the outdoors is theirs that um, it's their space as well and they should also be exploring it and so I'm hopeful for for all of those things that's great that's fantastic so yeah what I wanted to say Thomas 
like on the, the expedition and the climb, you also have team members that helped you push through. So even though you might have had to dig deep uh, personally, make sure you still rely on your team that you have around you to help help you push you through. So I just wanted to add that uh, just thought for you uh, because I, you know, I'm truly honored that you guys are on tonight just to talk, not only just talk about your accomplishments, but just to highlight your strength. And I think it will carry on to whoever you, you meet because you know, we, we need the, we need strong men like you, the three of you that have done something extraordinary. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Keith. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks you and Keith. Yeah. Of course. You guys have a great night. Yeah. What a pleasure to get to interview Phil, Dom, and Thomas. I look forward to hearing more about their future accomplishments as a team. If you want to know more about their story, go to www.fullcircleeverest.com. Finally, if you have a curiosity or a passion about getting more outdoors or in nature, find a local program in your area and just do it. You never know where your journey will take you. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Den. You can find previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're a newcomer to the show, thank you for listening. And if you care, please share. It will be much appreciated. As we all know from previous episodes, we like to end the show with a quote. And this one comes from Matthew Henson. If you haven't heard about Matthew Henson, he was an African-American explorer who accompanied Robert Perry on seven voyages to the Arctic over a period of nearly 23 years. They spent a total of 18 years on expeditions together. He is best known for his participation in the 1908-1909 expedition that claimed to have reached the geographic North Pole on April 6, 1909. Henson said, he was the first of their party to reach the pole. And here's this quote. There can be no conquest to the man who dwells in the narrow and small environment of a groveling life. And there can be no vision to the man, the horizon of whose vision is limited by the bounds of self. But the great things of the world, the great accomplishments of the world have been achieved by men who had high ideals and who have received great visions. The path is not easy, The climbing is rugged and hard, but the glory at the end is worthwhile. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.